Hi, welcome to In the Pacha, where I, Sam Reinstein, have conversations with different educators about the, te- about the weekly Torah portion. For this week's Pacha, I have Josh Bawanek. Hey, Josh. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, welcome from Israel. We're actually in the same room. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so for those that don't know, um, Josh is my brother-in-law. Uh, married to my always. yeah, um, married to my sister. So it is a little bit of nepotism. Um, nice. Thanks, thanks to Judah Druck for that joke. <laughs> um, but uh, so Josh, um, for those that don't know you, um, even though we have introduced Margot a couple times, that's true. Um, <laughs> I'm doing the same thing she's yourself? doing. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, I grew up in Riverdale, New York. I now live in Israel in Herzliya, and my wife and I, Sam's sister. Um, are the JLIC educator couple in IDC Herzliya. JLIC is an organization run by the OU with Hillel that puts educator couples on college campuses. So normally they're in, there's 23 of them in North America, and this is the first one that they opened up in Israel. So we're doing that, and it's been a lot of fun. Cool. Yeah. And I actually was able to visit. And, and gave a shear there. Yeah. <laughs> so props if you're looking for a college in Israel. JLIC, uh, IDC and Herzliya is definitely now... A more interesting place to go, even than it was before. <laughs> this is not an advertisement. Yeah, we'd be happy to have you. But <laughs> sure, it can be an advertisement. <laughs> um, so, um, so this week's parshat ray. I'm gonna do a quick summary, and then we're gonna um, we're gonna do our thing. Josh is gonna talk a little bit about Avozara, and I'm gonna kind of try and like put this parsha a little bit in context. Um, so for the summary, um, I'm going to try and do it in 30 seconds as usual. We'll probably fail as usual, but here we go. Uh, Moshe relates that there is a blessing and a curse if B'nai Israel follow or don't follow or abandon God. Um, these blessings and curses will be proclaimed later on in the mountains on Grizim or Eval uh, and Eval and as B'nai Israel are about to enter the land. Now Moshe relates some more specific commandments that will happen uh, that will be commanded when they actually enter the land. Um, there are seven of them. Um, the temple is supposed to be built in the place that God will choose, which we know to be the Temple Mount. Um, that place is going to be the only place where you're allowed to bring sacrifices to God. Uh, if a false prophet comes, he's supposed to be put to death for undermining true prophecy. Uh, the signs of a kosher animal are explained. Master Shani is then explained, which is um, some years a tenth of the produce or the money made from selling it is brought to Yushalayim, to Jerusalem, and used there. Um, in other years, it's given to the poor instead. Uh, the commandment to give charity is put forth, including giving loans out to people that need them. All loans are forgiven in the sabbatical year. And the Parsha concludes with a review of the three holidays, Passover, Sukkot, and Shavuot, where everyone goes to the temple to give sacrifices. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, it's an interesting Parsha because there's lots of little pieces. Um, so, I, Josh, I'd love to hear like which uh, which piece you wanted to uh, focus on. Sure. Yeah. So, I want to pick up on this idea that comes up a lot over here, which is the idea of avodazara, which is idol worship. Um, you have a lot about of fears of what's going to happen when you go in, and it talks about how you might have false prophets, and they're going to try to get you to do avodazara, and you have to not not follow them. Um, what happens if there's an individual? What happens if there's a whole city? What happens when you go and you find other other idols? What do you do with them? Um, in fact, at some point, the, the fear gets so strong that, that Moshe and God say over here um, that you're gonna, you're, I'm afraid you're going to go into Israel, and all of a sudden, here we're in uh, chapter 12, verse 30 over here, 
Um, it says, Penti lohehem. You're going to go in and you're going to start inquiring about their gods. Oh, how do they serve the idols over here in this place? Hey, I want to do that also. It's like this fear that you're going to all of a sudden start looking around and seeing all these great new ways to serve idols and you're going to start doing them. And Moshe keeps saying, like, don't do that. Don't follow them. Um, so I think the question I, I sort of have here is, like, what, what is this? What, what is this fear? Just like, even how, how do we understand it? Like, I know that. I don't think Avodah Zarah, idol worship, is something that is talked a lot about, you know, in today's day and age. Um, but it's like a really strong fear going on here, and I'm just—I don't know—I'm just curious about what what is it that that is that is so warned against over here. So, right, like just because I think in other circumstances, um, like people wouldn't necessarily be so worried, like to see anything else of something, um, that you would be so worried that you would. Um, like be attached to it um like yeah yeah even the fact that it's like such a concern he doesn't say like you're gonna see giraffes like stay away i guess giraffes are kosher you're gonna see camels stay away from the camels like you don't have that in terms of kosher food but like right you just have the signs right Right. you don't you just you know these are the ones that kosher these are the ones that aren't and like there's no like right like moshe's not so worried we're gonna see something that's not kosher right and just like all of a sudden need it he just right. tells us what and it here is it goes it goes on and on, and on. Right. someone's gonna warn someone's gonna try to lead you astray don't go with them don't do it mm. um yeah so i just I, I just i even feel like in in thinking about a topic to talk about i felt like i felt pretty sure you weren't going to talk about this i feel like <laughs> no one talks about this which is why it was just all the more interesting yeah for sure Great. um Okay, so to start answering this, I want to just bring us to a, a Mishnah in Masechat Sanhedrin, Tractate Sanhedrin in the Talmud. Um, so it talks there about how there are, in general, that, that in, if one worships idols, one gets the death penalty. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but in general, the way it works is that if you serve the idol in the way that's normally served, that's considered idol worship. Okay. However, there's four things that if you do them to any idol, whether or not that's their general way of worshiping it or not, you get the death penalty for these four things. Because it's considered idol worship, even if that's not the way. You're... Ah, you're already giving a reason. Oh, okay. Good, good, good. Hold okay, on to that. <laughs> so these four things um, are, number one, giving a sacrifice. Number two, giving an incense sacrifice. The first one mm-hmm. is an animal. The second one is incense, like uh, smells. Um, the third one is like giving out a wine libation, pouring out wine to it. And the fourth one is bowing down to it. If you do these four things, you're liable no matter what. Any of those four things. Any of those four yeah, things. Right. So you, you're, you're liable and you get death penalty. Um, so the question is, why these four things? Why is these so much different than, I don't know, any other things you could do to an idol? I, I, I don't know, giving them food. I don't know, other things. Right. Um, so I think the obvious answer is sort of what you just said, which is that, well, yeah, like these four things are considered idol worship. These are like, no matter who you do these to, it's clear that you're doing idol worship, right? It's, it's more than than any other things like for example right. like like throwing stones at some of these other things you know if you were doing that to something you wouldn't necessarily think that's idol worship but if you see someone giving a sacrifice to something you know that's idol worship right, but like the think, four most recognizable signs yeah but i would think also like the giving food is an example because that's the one that's in the uh in the story with like uh avram when he's like destroying the idols oh, like, okay <laughs> like but i think that's like a weird thing like why would you be giving food to right. like a to like a a okay. statue, right? Okay. I would think that would also, like, I don't know. Yeah, no, so, so yeah. I think that makes that makes the question stronger. Then. Yeah, so yeah then, for sure. So then why these four things? You're saying, right. okay, right, maybe it, sa- it sounds convincing. That, oh, yeah, these four things are the four most idolable things. Right. But you're saying, no, that's ima- not true. I, right? I can imagine yeah. ones. So, right, so, again, first answer could be, yeah. well, in those times, if you were living in those right. times, you, you never would have thought of that. Really, yeah. those four things are more. But maybe there's something more going on. Um, 
Okay, so a really cool answer to this I heard by Rav Moshe Lichtenstein, who's a rabbi in Yeshivat Haaretzion, Gush, in Israel. Um, I thought he had a really cool approach, um, which I will try to give over over here. Um, <laughs> but he, he pointed out, what, where do you recognize these four things from? Do they sound familiar to you at all? So he says these four things are all things you probably recognize from the Torah. Exactly. These are all things that are done in the Mishkan. These are all things that are done in the tabernacle, in the Beit HaMikdash, to God, right. right? Sacrifices, we bring sacrifices. Pouring out wine, that's something that explicitly we do for our sacrifices. Bringing incense, right? We have the Torah, we, we do that in, in the temple. Um, bowing is an interesting one because it's not really mentioned specifically, but but it is very much right. a part of we do what it goes on, on Kippur, in the temple. Right? Exactly. Yeah, like, it's not mentioned explicitly, but, right. but yes, it very much is a part of it. So he was saying these four things, it, it's not just that these happen to be four things that are done to idols. It's that these four things are the four things that are done to God. Hmm. And therefore, if you do them to another idol, what does that show about your relationship with God? You're like taking the four things that God said, oh yeah, like this is how I want my relationship with you to look like. And all of a sudden you're bringing wine libations to another idol. It's like, what are you doing? It's, it's, mm. it's so much worse because that's supposed to be what you're doing for God. It's like, it's like undermining, like being unfaithful to your relationship with God when you're doing it to these other things. And that's why it's so much worse for those. Um, and I think, so coming back to, back to the verses over here, that part of what are we so concerned about? It's not that we're so concerned that you're going to worship an idol. It's that we're so concerned that you're going to be losing your relationship with God, which is which is shown and manifest by the fact that you're going up, going to this idol and saying like, mm. "Hey, I wonder how you worship this idol." What do you mean you wonder how you worship that idol? You're supposed to be worshiping God. Like, right. what are you doing? Like, where did your relationship with me go that you're all of a sudden looking at these other idols? Um, right, and we're not worried about that with food because, like, like you're not allowed to eat that food, but like it doesn't. If you do like, okay, it's bad, fine. Right, right. And, you know, there's reasons for that, but it's not. This like cuts to the heart of right, right. of our relationship with God, which is like what everything stands for. Hmm. Um, and I, I, I think I really liked that because because it made idol worship very <laughs> relatable. Right. Um, I mean, we were learning Masechet Avodah Zarah that year, which deals all with it's a whole it's a whole tractate about idol worship. Um, and I sort of went into it thinking like, okay, this is going to be very relevant to my life. Right. Um, but I think that right away he started off with, with that with that idea, and it's all of a sudden put the whole thing in context of like, yeah, that when when we learn all these things about idol worship and about what we can't do, so it's supposed to be reminding you, okay, but but that's because you're supposed to be building a relationship with God, and you're supposed you're supposed to be having that. Like, it's it's a relationship. It's not just these random things. Oh, if I pour out wine, I can't do that. But if I pour out water, it's okay. Like, no, right. it's it's supposed to be. It's the the connection between you and the idol and God. He even compared it to to adultery. He said like adultery and adultery are, are kind of similar, um, in that. Like, what's, what's so bad about, you know, being unfaithful to your spouse? Okay, I guess I already gave it away. It's not just whatever you did with your neighbor's spouse. It's the fact that you were unfaithful to your own spouse. Right. And, like, that's what's so bad about it. It's that you're supposed to be building another relationship. And when you do those same things with someone else's spouse, it's like, whoa, like, what, what, happened? what happened to your relationship that you undermined it and were doing this other thing? So what you're saying, idol worship, is, it's the same thing. You do that to them. It's like, right. And I, I think that even is stronger because... Sometimes people feel cheated on, not just like with physical intimacy. Like right. sometimes there can be like, right. if you're sharing all your secrets with somebody else, right. and, you know, you really get into this very close relationship and you're not having that relationship with your spouse. Sometimes your spouse can feel cheated on, even if, exactly. even if you didn't like, like, it's like you went skating with her and got M&Ms at the end, right, like, but you did that with, on our first date. Right, right. <laughs> so I can imagine God saying like, what, you have like a, you gave incense to them? Like, but that's right, what right. we do. Right, right. Yeah, so I, I thought that was very relatable. I really Interesting. Liked that. Interesting. That's actually something that uh, there's a, 
there's a show called The Affair, which like documents that, and then you kind of see that happening mm-hmm. where this guy kind of like, I mean, they're both having an affair with each other, but like they uh, they kind of start doing the things together that they each were uh-huh. were doing with their spouses instead, uh-huh. and it kind of like and it blooms after that, right? Um, and it shows like not just like what's happening there, but the problems they were each having with their spouses already. Uh-huh. Like it's like it's it's you see that very strongly. It's right. interesting. Um, yeah, show went off the rails after the first season. But. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the Torah portion didn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess just to bring in one other source about yeah. that. So the first two commandments, the first one is I am your God. The second one is don't have any other gods. Right. So Maimonides, Rambam, interestingly, when he talks about the second commandment, so he says, why can't you have other gods? So he, he gives a reason um, in Hilchot Yisodei HaTorah. He says, because if you do that, the kofer be'ikar, shezeu ha'ikar ha'gadol sh'akol taluivu, that you are you are denying the central truth, which is the great principle that everything relies on. That the second commandment, it's not just like, oh, by the way, don't have other gods. It's right. don't have other gods because you're denying God. Right. It's like a connected, it's like the two sides of the relationship with God, and that's where it all comes from. Right, right. Interesting. And that's maybe why like there are all these 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 Midrashim, like connecting those first two. Mm-hmm. Like that those were the only two that were said like like uh-huh. you know, straight like, by God, straight by God, and the other ones came through Moshe. Like maybe because it's two sides of the same coin. Because it's really one. It's like maybe it's really like one. Yeah, exactly. It's like one thing. Right, and that one thing is is the relationship aspect. Ah, so not just technically right. don't have idols. So what you're saying is like when we when we read in this week's parsha and other parsha about like rules of Vodazara, like the question that we should be asking is not like. What aren't we allowed to? What aren't we allowed to do? But like, how? How should our relationship? How with should God our relation look? God be? Like, like, don't like plant an Asherah tree. Right. That seems random. I don't right. know. Like that's just one tree you're not allowed to plant because people used to bow down to it. Right. But like, what about that? Right. Is like supposed to be a relationship to God. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Um, you yeah. don't need to answer that question specifically, but like. Yeah. I don't know. And I think they say like in relationships even that that if if if. When, a, when someone is already at the point where they're starting to like stray and look after other things outside of their own marriage, let's say. So it usually means that there's already something wrong with the marriage that isn't holding them together that's already already a problem. So I feel like it's the same thing here that we're reading about all these things about telling the Jews not to stray after idols. So like you're saying, but really the question is, oh, whoa, like why are we even at that point in the first place that we're already looking for idols? Like what happened to our, our relationship with God? Is there, right. is there something wrong there that's even putting us in this situation? All right, interesting. Cool. Yeah. 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 I, I, I just, I like that. It's yeah. Like it, it just made it relatable Right, to no, me. I, I feel like that'll help. Um, I mean, I think that helps, like, me re- relate to this more. Um, not even the metaphor with, like, the, but just, like, on, therefore, what is, like, what does it mean for my personal relationship with God, mm-hmm. even? Um, and hopefully that'll, like, I don't know, help people that are listening, like, kind of trying to understand, like, what, how to relate to those things even on their face right i'm mean, not trying to like extract i don't know i do that right. a lot where i extract right. the message right. and apply it somewhere else other things yeah. yeah but this isn't even doing that it's like extracting the message and using it for that message yeah um, yeah i also cool. very interestingly we had a, a a conversation with a bunch of college students our last shabbat there before the semester ended um and there was like a whole conversation about how people don't specifically don't talk about their relationship with god anymore mm-hmm. and they're saying like even in public like you don't hear you don't hear rabbis of young communities talking about 
God, even the word God, they were saying, is not a thing that's on people's minds anymore. You talk about other things and, you know, I don't know, being good and yeah. whatever. Um, so even, even, I think even just the notion of, like, actively, specifically thinking about God yeah. is, it's, it's novel. We don't, we don't always naturally do that until someone kind of right, right. forces you to ask that question. And right, I think right. this Parsha is forcing us to ask that question. Cool. Okay. Um, so something... Something else that I wanted to, um, so I'll shift over um, topics. Um, so what I wanted to talk about specifically um, was something that I think is is a fairly expansive conversation. Um, so we might not be able to like fully get through to it. Um, but we can talk about it. Conversation. Bit. Yeah, but I guess it's a, a conversation with having. Um, and I think it applies to a bunch of these commandments that Moshe tells us in this week's parsha. Um, so I'll just start with the first one because I saw it first in the first one, but also um, I think it's very relatable in the first one. So God tells us, uh, or actually here Moshe tells us, um, that the temple is supposed to be built in a place, Asher Yifchar Hashem, that God will choose, which we know to be the Temple Mount. Um, at this Where point, is that, Sam? Oh, so it, it's specifically in Israel, in Jerusalem. Um, oh, I, meant, I meant which verse. Oh, which verse? Oh, you, you oh sorry. To other yeah, yeah, good point. <laughs> I thought I wasn't sure. Yeah, um, yeah so I'm going to get to it when mm-hmm. I when I when okay. I quote it. So in um, chapter twelve, verse eleven, and it should be the place where um, God um, chooses for you, that He will um, live there. Um, and then it goes, and that's where you shall give all your sacrifices, and that's where you shall do all your things, right? And then later in, in verse 13, um, And be careful, don't do these things anywhere else. Um, you're not allowed to do it in any other place that you see, um, except for the place um, where, where God chooses for you. Um, and I thought that was like really um, like surprising on some level um, that we're only allowed to give sacrifices in the temple. You're not allowed to make um, altars in other places. You're not allowed to give sacrifices anywhere else. Once the temple is built, it's like specified for sacrifices. The reason I thought that was specifically interesting or like um, it's just because it's I, I feel like it's very not like how we see like, let's say prayer in, like, the modern context. Like, no, you pray wherever you can. Like, that's a good thing to do wherever you are. And sure, like, it might be better to do it in synagogue and do it with the community. And that that's, like, an important value. Um, but no one's going to tell you, like, oh, no, if you have to pray at home, don't pray. Like, I don't know. No, no one's going to tell you to do that. Um, so, like, I just thought it was, like, a really interesting thing that God tells us, like, Right. Don't here, give, here yeah. it's not. It's better to bring the sacrifices in the temple. It's like you're not, not allowed, allowed to bring to. it anywhere else. Yeah. And if you do, you 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 there's like you get the death penalty. Right. Like it has to be there. And we, we don't we don't have that today. It's right. Like, like oh yeah, it's better. Like Israel's better. It's, yeah, yeah. But we don't have that. That you actually can't. I can't. Yeah. So, so the Sefer Achinuch, um, which is a commentary that uh, goes through each parsha and kind of talks about at length about each mitzvah. Um, there are English translations of it that are really good. Um, um, specifically on this mitzvah, um, talks about this idea of exclusivity, um, creating holiness, um, where you limit yourself in order to make something holy and make something special. Um, I mean, I think that's a generalized 
thing in just people's lives. When you limit something to a specific time, um, it becomes more special. Um, I see that with um, my son, let's say, where we only give him lollipops like when he goes to Shulam Shabbos, and that makes like Shulam Shabbos special because he knows he gets a lollipop. You know, like that's a really um, you know it becomes special because it's limited. And so what God is doing here, according to Zefer Achinuch, is making. Um, the temple specifically special because it's the only place you can give a sacrifice. Um, it's it's like the exclusivity of giving the sacrifice kind of makes it special. It makes the temple special or it makes the sacrifice special? I think special? both. Uh-huh. Right. It makes the, yeah, it makes the temple special because it's exclusive in its, in what it, in what it is, right? It's the only place you can do it. Mm-hmm. It makes the sacrifices special because the sacrifices are limited to a specific time. Mm-hmm. Right. I think, I think it, it kind of goes both ways. Right, there. like the whole experience becomes a unique right, like experience. Challah is special for challah is special because we only have it on Shabbos, and Shabbos is also special because we. Ah, it's like what right. way we make it special right. by having challah. Right, you know, it's like kind of like a little bit of both. Right. I think. Um, Even though in non-kosher bakeries you can buy challah bread all week. Right. True. <laughs> um, I actually saw that in. Um, it was like interesting. I saw a place that was making challah bread, for. For Passover, and it was dairy. That's I was awesome. just like, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Not useful. We'll explain all of those. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, um, so um, yeah, and I think this idea is like a big idea in Judaism, and I just wanted to um, go a couple places in this week's parsha, right? So um, the signs of a kosher animal are explained, right? Only certain am- we limit the animals that we're able to eat, and that kind of makes what we eat special. Um, so, some years we have to eat something specifically in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, and I think that makes it special. Um, we take some of our money and say we're giving this money specifically to poor people, and that makes our charity giving special. Um, you know, like our loans are forgiven on the seventh year, that makes that seventh year special. Um, we treat certain times as holidays, and we go to Jerusalem to give sacrifices. It makes those times um, like special unlimited. I think that's a pretty expansive. Uh, um, I don't know. I think that's an expansive idea in Judaism. Yeah, I, I actually feel like that sort of that's like one of the mottos that sort of underlie Judaism as I see it. Um, I feel like the examples you give can go on and on. Like we we we, uh, we eat certain foods only so that we think about what we eat. We we um, we do something to our clothing. We put tzitzit on our clothing so that we think about what we're wearing. We we only. You know, in our relationships, we, we keep our, our, our relationships focused with one person so that we, we have Kiddushin, we make it holy. The whole idea of like of Kiddush, we make, we make Shabbat holy. We make, um, we have Kohanim who have certain roles. I feel like the entire premise of Judaism, I feel like I'm not even giving good examples, like literally anything in Judaism is that. It's like you, you take something which is a general idea um, and you sort of create a... a um, you, you, you set boundaries and then you make something holy. I mean, there's, there are those who say right. that, that, that Kiddushah literally means boundaries. And that holiness means setting boundaries on things. And then it helps you appreciate what you have. Right. I think it... I, but yeah, I think... I mean, I wasn't thinking this before, but now, I'm, now I am. I think it not only makes you appreciate the thing, but it also makes you appreciate the boundary itself almost uh-huh. like it's like a, you know like the Shabbos example I think is really good right it's like you have to rest during that time and you limit yourself you limit what you're able to do and that one makes you appreciate that day the seventh day but I think it also 
um, you know, it makes you appreciate the other six days where you're working and you find value in that work. Right. Um, right. It helps you appreciate both sides of the boundary. Right. Both when um, you are and when you're not. And it. I think the, I mean, now I'm quoting them, but like, I think the Pesukim actually, like the verses actually talk about that, where it's like, Six days you shall work and do all your work. And on the seventh day you shall rest. Like it's like, it's like a flip back and forth that like kind of like makes the lack of when the lack of boundary exists um, good and the boundary good also. You know, by mm-hmm. limiting it, it makes all the other place like no. It's like specifically at the temple, I make sacrifices and that makes the sacrifice special too. Right. Because um, I can't just do it anywhere. I can only do it there. Right. Um, can I ask you to flesh out yeah. why you think that that's so meaningful? Because I, I, you see it. I mean, you see it everywhere in Judaism. Like, there's we have holiness of place. We have yeah. holy, right? Let's say Israel, Beit Hamikdash. We have holiness of time. Let's say Shabbat, holidays. Um, we have holiness of of people. You know, there's Ekonim, Jewish people, um, and everyone. Yeah. Um, can you flesh out like why do you feel like that's so meaningful? Because I agree with you. There's right. something. There's something so so rich there. Huh. Um, I mean, I, I was kind of thinking this. I know it's like a related idea, but it's kind of separate. Um, I think it does help with the like moderation in life thing. Uh huh. Um, because that's also a big idea in Judaism. Like the shulas have the golden, um, like the balance between like doing things too much or not doing things enough. Um, like it kind of forces you, like you can't just eat whatever you want, right? It forces right. you to like be thoughtful in what you're eating. It forces you to be thoughtful in what you're wearing. Like uh-huh. I, I think on some level, like it makes you be thoughtful in what you're doing always. Uh-huh. Um, so for each of those areas, it forces you to think about, wait, so how do I think about my food and right. my eating? And how do yeah. I think about time? And how do I use my time? And how do I treat people? Right. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like that's a special thing that, other people do, right? Non-Jewish people do that all the time. Right. Are very thoughtful, especially here in Brooklyn. People are <laughs> super thoughtful about like where their clothes come from and where their um, food comes from. But I feel on some level that's like almost a religion. Mm-hmm. Like they're so thoughtful about like where their kale is sourced um, and like stuff like that. That like uh, or where their collard greens are sourced. I feel like kale is like kind of going out at this point. <laughs> but uh, but like. You know, they're so thoughtful about it. And I think Judaism forces us to do that in like all aspects of our life. And I feel like that's really special. Uh-huh. Um, and just one way um, that I was talking to somebody about this this week, um, I feel like Hilcho Nida, the laws of family purity, mm-hmm. um, force us to do that too um, within a marriage um, where um, there's a, a time um, in, in each month or whatever, depending on, on the woman's um, body, um, that like is different than the other times, right? There are times where um, sex is allowed and times where sex is not allowed, and that kind of like makes it special for the you know that kind of makes it special in the relationship, and at least in theory should help the relationship even if it might be hard. Um, and so I saw in Rosabolovsky's book, Rosabolovsky's a rabbi at YU, um, one of the Rosh Yeshiva at YU that wrote a book called The Laws and Concepts of Nida, um, which is very good if you want like a really fleshed out uh, um, law book on it's like a thousand pages yeah <laughs> well the That's actual book itself uh, the sources are really long the actual book itself is like 300 pages okay. so it's not so bad but <laughs> in good. his very, good, um, very clear yeah in his introduction he actually equates he quotes a, um, a Gemara in Nida um, that talks about equating the Mishkan and the Beit HaMidash to 
um, Hilcho Nida, oh, cool. the laws of Nida. Cool. And I thought that was interesting, and it kind of says this idea that because like um, this, like the time that you can only do certain things in the Beit Hamikdash, it's certain. It's like almost holiness in place, um, like limiting in place, mm-hmm. and Nida is like limiting in time, like Shabbos is, mm-hmm. um, like Sabbath, and like. Um, and I don't know I think that was also an interesting idea just even with like family purity laws like I think the same idea is is there as well um, yeah yeah any any further thoughts on that I don't know um, what, how, what you think it's so extensive do you, do, you, do you feel something similar or yeah I just I think that that's sort of what Judaism tries to do with the world it tries to take every element of the world and how we how we deal with things around us and, and make them meaningful and very often the way to do that is even even just stepping back and saying saying you know what once a year don't eat on Yom Kippur let's say right. so just just by stepping back a little bit we're not telling you to to never eat and go on fasts but every so often think about so it, it, it just it all of a sudden puts everything in perspective and makes you think about about how do you relate to it right. um, and I just I think that that's like a very it's a very meaningful way of living life about thinking about that about everything you do. Um, and I just, I it, like, it, it's never ending. Right. Like you can always do that. You can always be contemplating. Okay, and yeah. now, now how am I doing with my relationships? Now yeah. how am I doing with my time? Gives like a lot of touch points to, to uh, be reflective. Yeah, yeah. And I think Judaism is, is good at that. Like there's 613 commandments for a reason because mm-hmm. it's like it purposely, I think, tries to reach all areas of life and kind of give meaning to all areas of yeah. life. And I, Even though I feel yeah. like some people do take that too far. Okay, you know, fine. <laughs> meaning like, you know, you can get so detailed, get really which is important, right. I think, on some level. But like you can get so detailed that you kind of like lose. Right. Well, thing. I think that's what's beautiful about Judaism is that even, even in this, it's that... It help. It, it's encouraging you to reflect on it. It doesn't take it all the way to the end and say this is exactly what you have to think right. and what you have to feel about every single thing you do. True. But it, but it definitely pushes you to reflect about all of those things. Right. I think that's like a really nice push in a good direction, in yeah. a thoughtful direction. Okay. So well, I think this. I hope these conversations made you reflective in that <laughs> way. Um, thanks, Josh, for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for having and, me. And um, pay attention for next episodes of the of in the Pacha um, for Parsha Shoftim.